You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Tune in each week for the next chapter. Chapter 4 Go with me, kind reader, to the outskirts of the great city. Enter with me a humble house. We pass invisibly inside the locked door. We glide unseen up the staircase and into a plainly furnished, low-sealed room. Our acquaintance, Dr. Pratt, is there. Also his co-conspirator, Harold Colville, is there. Both are bending anxiously over a low white bed where a girlish, recumbent form lies extended. At the foot of the bed stands an old crone with gray elf locks floating under a tawdry black lace cap. Wrinkled and bent and witch-like with beady black eyes and parchment-like skin, she is frightful to look at as she peers curiously into the beautiful white face lying on the pillow. Pratt, you have deceived me, Colville breaks out sternly. All your restoratives have failed. All your potent art is at fault. Look at that marble face, those breathless lips. It is death, not life, we look upon. Bah, said Dr. Pratt. Rising and going to the young lady's head, he gently turned it on one side. At the same time, he changed the position of one arm. Both retained for a short time their new position, then slowly resumed their former place. He raised her eyelids, and they remained open a brief interval, then gently closed again. The beautiful blue eyes they disclosed were neither glassy nor corpse-like, though fixed in a vacant, unnatural stare. The physician resumed his seat and said calmly, You see, Colville, it is life, not death. I tell you it is that rare, mysterious affliction we call catalepsy, a state fearfully blending the conditions of life and death, a seeming life in death, or death in life. It is true that all my remedies have failed, but it is equally true that life is not extinct, though the spark may perish from exhaustion if she does not soon revive. It is now four days since the cold steel entered her side and this mysterious unconsciousness fell upon her. But the horrid spell must soon be broken, or death will ensue as a consequence of loss of blood and vitality. They withdrew a little further from the bed, Pratt still keeping a watchful eye upon the patient, while Colville tried to keep his roving glance away from the death-like face that sent a shudder of fear now and then along his frame. It seemed fearfully like death, despite the learned theory of the case which Dr. Pratt was patiently explaining to him. "'You said the first time we talked of this that you believed Miss Lawrence had been murdered,' said Colville suddenly. "'Why did you form that opinion despite the contrary evidence?' "'There was no evidence to the contrary,' said the dark physician complacently. I formed it on the evidence of my own eyes. True, Miss Lawrence's door was locked on the inside, but, he paused a moment to give effect to his words, but a heavy, luxuriant honeysuckle vine was trained from the ground up to her window in the second story. The murderer, or murderess, entered her room by the door, turned the key, perpetrated the dreadful deed, and escaped by sliding down the thickly twisted vine to the ground. That is only your theory, doctor, I suppose. It is a fact, not theory, monsieur. I furtively examined the vine myself. It was broken in places, bruised in its tender parts, and quantities of leaves and flowers were strewn upon the ground. It plainly showed that a heavy body had slid down upon it and injured it. I wonder that it escaped the dull eyes of the jury. You are an astute man, doctor. Who, then, was the assassin of one so young and fair? I do not know, but I half suspected the beautiful woman who lives at Lawrence's, a sort of cousin, I think, a Mrs. Vance by name. Her evidence went a little further than the rest. She asserted that she heard the young lady lock her door that night, 
She seemed to favor the idea of suicide also by pressing a theory of her own that Miss Lawrence had a secret trouble, was subject to fits of abstraction and depression. Yes, decidedly, I suspect the beautiful widow. What motive could she have had? That I do not know. I could find out, though, if I set my wits to work. But I have no interest in knowing. I have it, said Colville suddenly. I am acquainted with Mrs. Vance. When I used to visit the Lawrences, I found out, no matter how, that Mrs. Vance was in love with Lancelot Darling. If she did the deed, it was jealousy that goaded her to its commission. Very probably, said the doctor. They had talked on, forgetful or regardless of the old woman who sat at the foot of the bed. She was listening eagerly, with twitching fingers, and muttered inaudibly, Gold! Gold! What are you muttering about, old hag? said Pratt, overhearing her. None of your jargon now, and don't repeat what we have been saying to your old man. If you do, I will send your black soul to its doom sooner than it would go of its own accord. Do you hear me, old witch? Yes, I hear. I will never repeat it, never, whined the old wretch, grinning horribly. See that you don't, then, said Colville. The evening hours wore on to midnight, and the three watchers in the quiet room kept their places, undisturbed by even a breath from the pale form on the bed. The old crone sat wide awake and on the alert. Dr. Pratt leaned back and watched the patient through half-closed lids. Colville dozed in a large armchair. Surely there never was a patient who gave so little trouble to the nurses. No querulous complaint came from the pale lips. No restless hands tossed aside the bedclothes. No fever-parched tongue cried out for the cooling draught of ice water. Still and pale, she lay through the panting summer night, taking no note of time or aught earthly. Hark! The midnight hour told solemnly and sharply. Mysterious hour when crime stalks abroad under shelter of darkness, when disembodied spirits revisit the haunts of men. Colville started from his uneasy dozing, then settled himself again as the last loud stroke died away in hollow echoes. But he did not sleep again, for a simultaneous cry from the physician and the old woman turned his glance toward the bed. Ah, what was that? The awful spell of death was broken. The patient presented a ghastly appearance. Her large blue eyes were wide open and staring an indescribable look of horror at the witch-like face of the old woman. Her lips were slightly apart and a thin stream of blood was trickling from her mouth and nostrils. Be gone, said the physician sharply. Bring warm water and sponges. She quickly returned with the necessary articles. Dr. Pratt gently sponged away the blood with warm water so as not to entirely check the bleeding. A long, deep sigh quivered over the patient's lips, and turning her head, she looked languidly about her. Dr. Pratt made a sign to Colville, and he hastily drew a side out of range of her vision. "'Drink this wine, Lily,' said the physician, putting a wine glass to her lips. She feebly swallowed the contents, then, closing her eyes with a languid sigh, fell into a deep, refreshing sleep, breathing softly and audibly. He turned to Colville with a triumphant smile. "'What about my theory now?' he said. Colville was trembling with excitement. He came forward and looked at the face sleeping calmly on the pillow, its rigid lines softening into natural repose. "'Surely, Pratt, you are in league with the devil,' said he, half fearfully. "'An hour ago I could have sworn that it was grim death we looked upon, but now—' "'But now,' said Dr. Pratt, "'she is doing well. She will soon recover, and then you can set about your wooing.' "'Ah,' said Colville doubtfully, "'I wish that your potent art could ensure me her love as skillfully as you ensured me her life.' The patient's deep slumber lasted till the rosy dawn of the summer morn began to break over the earth. 
Then the blue eyes opened with a look of bewilderment in their beautiful depths. Where am I? She languidly interrogated, sweeping her small white hand across her brow. Colville had gone, but the unwearied physician sitting by the bedside answered calmly, You are in good hands, Miss Lawrence. I am your physician. You have been very ill and must not agitate yourself by asking questions yet. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. Turn it each week for the latest chapters released on Thursdays. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chambers Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.